Hi, we are here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about what the first cities looked like and why humans built them from archaeologist and author Monica L. Smith. We'll also answer a listener question about what makes pedestrians run into each other. Let's run into some curiosity. What did ancient cities look like and what made humans start building them in the first place? It's time to get some answers in the first of our three-part City Sundays miniseries with Monica L. Smith. She's an archaeologist and a professor in the Department of Anthropology at UCLA, and she's the author of a new book called Cities, The First 6,000 Years. She's going to kick off our special series by explaining why 6,000 years specifically. Well, you know, prior to about 6,000 years ago, there were no cities anywhere on the planet, and now they are the settlement in which more than half of the world's population resides. So what I wanted to do with this book is to take an archaeological spin on the long history of human settlements and think about why it is that cities came into existence, given that they are such a compelling form for us today. Well, why did cities come into existence? Were you able to get to the bottom of it? Sure. You know, for the first 100,000 years or so of human existence, our natural environment was a village-like settlement where everybody knew everybody else. And that seemed perfectly satisfactory for many tens of thousands of years. But as people started to come together into larger ritual settlements, they kind of got a blueprint for how exciting it would be to stay in some kind of densely populated settlement of strangers for a longer period than just the short time that they might spend at a place like Stonehenge, for example. So Stonehenge is a place where people came together for ritual activities and they built a monumental structure and it was clearly very important to them, but it was not a place where they were meant to stay after the ritual was over. Everybody was supposed to go home. And in fact, even today, there is no city around Stonehenge. It's just out there in the Salisbury Plains of southern England. And yet this experience of being in a place where there was festivity, where there was food, where there was the potential for maybe new romantic partners seemed to be something that was very compelling. And people then began to settle into places where they could have employment, where they could have education, where they could have entertainment on a year round basis. So basically, they thought they were having a lot of fun at a party and they decided, let's just have the party all the time, right? Let's just keep the party going. That's right. That's right. And, you know, when we think about cities today, they are places where people have a whole variety of opportunities all wrapped up in the same locale. There are places where they can get a variety of employment, usually with a higher salary. Um, but there are also places that after work, they can go for a whole variety of different entertainment venues. They can have a whole different variety of food that you can't get in a rural place. So cities are a kind of, you know, 24-hour entertainment possibility, but there are also places where you can get specialized services like specialized medical care or a specialized education. Those things are all wrapped up in cities too. So what did the old cities, ancient cities, what did they get right and what did they get wrong? Is, is there anything that as they kind of invented the idea of the city that they were doing that maybe we should uh, take some suggestions from? 
Sure. Well, there are many ways that ancient cities look exactly like the ones we have now. You have a kind of downtown with a dense concentration of buildings, uh, usually monumental buildings that have administrative or religious purposes. Then we've got streets and bridges and canals that tie it all together. We've got big empty plazas that are places for fairs and festivals, celebrations, sometimes riots. Uh, So there's a lot of flexibility in ancient cities. And One of the things that we can also see is that ancient city planners were attentive to these issues of diversity and even questions of gentrification and housing, because in a city, you need all kinds of people. You need not just CEOs and accountants, but you also need transportation workers and teachers and firefighters and people who clean things. So ancient cities, as well as modern ones, have been successful when there's an attention to the ways we can use infrastructure like roads or transportation systems to tie these different kinds of people together into a functioning settlement. Again, that was Monica L. Smith, an archaeologist and professor at UCLA and author of the new book, Cities, the First 6,000 Years. We'll put links to find more from her in today's show notes. And next Sunday, we'll continue the conversation with a look at why a lot of the problems our cities are facing today have actually been around for centuries. Something ancient cities did not have comes from today's sponsor, First Alert. There are three things every homeowner wants their home to be. Smarter, safer, and more fun. What if I told you one link by First Alert can get you there? First, meet your family's new best friend, the One Link Safe and Sound. It's a hardwired, smart smoke and carbon monoxide alarm with a premium home speaker. And it's Alexa enabled, all in one sleek device. It's built with First Alert safety technology and gives you an immersive, top-notch sound experience. The Safe and Sound elevates any home. And it gets even better than that. OneLink by First Alert also offers the OneLink smart smoke and carbon monoxide alarm that works with the OneLink Safe and Sound. It's a device that's easy to install and protects against both smoke and carbon monoxide. If smoke or CO is detected in the home, the smart alarm will notify you using exclusive voice and location technology and send a notification to your smartphone, whether you're at home or away. A smart home should start with smart protection, and OneLink by First Alert welcomes you to a smarter, safer home. For more information, visit onelink.firstalert.com. One more time, that's onelink.firstalert.com. To continue our city theme, we got a listener question from Muhammad Shafaz, who asks, why do we run or walk into each other sometimes and seem to make the same movement in sync with each other? Great question, Muhammad. I think we all know that awkward experience of walking down the sidewalk and darting right, then left, then right to avoid an oncoming pedestrian. And then if that pedestrian's into dad jokes, they go, shall we dance? And then it's even weirder. (laughs) But why does this happen in the first place? It mostly comes down to a sort of unwritten contract we all agree to as we make our way down the sidewalk. Back in the 1970s, there was an explosion of research into pedestrian traffic. And as a result, scientists were able to quantify some of the unconscious rules that city dwellers follow to avoid collision. There are a few obvious ones, like state of the right, unless you're somewhere like Australia or New Zealand and you walk on the left. But there are some surprising ones, too. Like one study found this subtle but complicated combination of body angle and eye contact that has to take place multiple times for two pedestrians to avoid one another. And another study found that when people need to squeeze past each other, they'll do it differently based on their gender. Men tend to face toward the oncoming pedestrian, while women tend to face away. 
Another researcher found that an oncoming pedestrian needs to be at least seven feet or two meters away for someone to accurately judge their speed and direction and get out of the way in time. And some pedestrians start to evade a collision from as far away as 17 feet or five meters. Culture plays a part in this too, since people in some countries maintain a larger bubble of personal space than in others. If any of these unwritten rules is broken, you're stuck figuring out how to avoid each other last minute. Even if you do see each other at seven feet away, a walking speed of three miles an hour gives you only a second and a half to make the right adjustment. And if one of you chooses wrong, you'll end up trying to pass in the same direction again and again and again. Thanks for the dance. And thanks for your question, Mohammed. If you have a question, send it in to podcast at curiosity.com. Before we wrap up, we want to give a special shout out to Dr. Mary Yancey and Mohammed Shafaz, who are executive producers for today's episode, thanks to their generous support on Patreon. Thank you so much. If you're listening and you want to support Curiosity Daily, then visit patreon.com slash curiosity.com, all spelled out. Join us again tomorrow for the award-winning Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Ashley Hamer. And I'm Cody Goff. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network. 